Welcome to Retaining the Passion, Journeys Through Nursing. This is a non-affiliated podcast. Any views expressed by the hosts or guests do not necessarily represent those of the organizations they work for or are studying at, or any trade unions or professional bodies they are members of. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Craig. Oh, good morning, Claire. How have you been, my darling? I'm all right. I'm quite tired. So we're recording this on Sunday morning and I did a long day bank shift last night on A&E Liaison. Well, day, not night. So I've been working quite a lot recently. But You've had a full-on week. Yeah, I had a week off my normal job, not last week, the week before, which was lovely. It was half term. It was my first week off since Christmas. Don't do that, everybody. Book more time off. Oh, gosh, Um, Claire, you're terrible with annual leave. I know. I think it's because I don't like to waste it. And so I've really. What are you going to do with it all? Well, I've really struggled in the pandemic to book time off to just sit at home. Mm. And then I'd be worrying about what I was doing because I carry my own caseload of patients. So really, if I'm not there, then obviously there's duty workers and stuff but you kind of yeah you, know, you feel that you feel that ownership that responsibility. and responsibility yeah so <laughs> I won't be doing that again I've booked some long weekends just to give myself a bit more of a break but it was really nice to be off but my sister came with her kids and that was really nice but it was a very active week so we did a 14k walk and so it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> and loads of stuff in the garden my husband's been working like a trooper in the garden because we had some work done and he's bought kinds of different saws to chop things up and stuff so manly yeah well we are (laughs) the manly family Um, very true (laughs) yeah so it's been good and I think our possibly last podcast or podcast before I mentioned that I'd applied for some health visitor training yeah um I didn't get it and it threw me for a bit of a curve I think I did get two other interviews which I've withdrawn from because it's made me really sit down and reflect on what I want. The feedback I got was unlike other feedback I've had from interviews. So it was that Mm -hmm. I was too prepared and had too much information, which I need to spend some time thinking about. As you know, I'm a bit of an information junkie. So I was prepared. I had got a lot of information. So it's just made me take some time out. I don't get how you can be too prepared, though. I I find that interesting. That is an interesting thing to digest. Yeah, and to think about. So I'm going to think about it because I love where I am. CMHT is tough, but... Community mental health team for anyone that doesn't know yeah. that abbreviation. And my frustrations aren't with the role or the patients or the team or even my trust, my role, my frustration is with our current government. I'll just leave it there because I think we're going to do a whole episode about politics and nursing. Yes, and then we are. I can spout my frustrations yes, in that. So how are you? I'm good, good, really loving my new job. I have been made, our team leader has brought in four new link nurse positions that are going to rotate on a four monthly basis to let us understand better the services that we refer into and Mm -hmm. just to help with our continuing professional development. So I'm starting off as the bloodborne viruses specialist nurse, which feels feels (laughs) quite like 
perfect considering yeah. I have just come from a bloodborne viruses ward. So obviously it became a COVID hub, but it was a bloodborne viruses ward. So yeah, that feels quite fortuitous and I'm really enjoying it. I love my new team to pieces because we're completely nurse led. It's a small team. You really get to know everyone really well. I loved my old team, but when you're in a ward environment, it's constantly rotating and yeah. you can go weeks and weeks and weeks and never be on with the same person. So you don't get to know people as well as you do in a smaller team. Yeah. They so made you, really you're nice. a year older. They made you a really cute birthday cake. They did. That's like, they made me a Hufflepuff birthday cake and they bought me presents and I've only been there six weeks. So that kind of yeah. was mind blown and just shows how welcoming and friendly the team have been. And you, I, you raised quite a lot of money for oh, your did, birthday. Yes. So that was yeah, I, I raised some money for the Scottish Refugee Council, which with my new job and is a charity that I was very passionate about. But also I got the results for my first master's module and I passed, but, and I'm annoyed with myself because you know what I'm like. I do. I went into this master's telling myself all that mattered was that I passed. Like, yeah, we've I was, had that conversation. I was so fixated on grades the entire way through my undergrad. But now I'm working full time, working through a pandemic. So I was like, you cannot have this same mindset going mm-hmm. into a master's. Also, master's is a completely different level of education. And I'm not doing a master's in nursing so it's completely different again so yeah it passed it wasn't a grade that I would have aspired to before and initially I was gutted when I saw the mark that I got my initial feeling instead of being like yeah I passed was like oh I'm gutted and I was quite obviously a a bit upset about it at work and my colleagues were like, what is wrong with you? And so I explained to them. Many, many things. Yeah, many things. (laughs) And I explained to them and they totally got it, which is, is nice. But I think it's making me reflect and think you can't set such impossibly high standards for yourself because then you only can fail. Like you only yeah. set yourself up to fail if you have these yeah. impossibly high standards. But it was funny. I text my mum, who obviously you've spoken to, and yep. she's just like, it's in your genetic makeup. She's like, you've been like this since you were a little boy. You would <laughs> paint a picture when you were a child. And if someone didn't like it, you'd throw it in the bin and paint another one until it was perfect. So yeah. I think it's just genetically in my makeup. But in order for me to be a more zen, more well-rounded person, and for it not to affect my mental health and well-being, I need to be happy with passing. And you didn't and fail. The learning journey. No, I didn't fail. I don't have a reset, so I, I should be happy. Yeah. And Nurse I've, Twitter was so lovely because they were, I, they were I really was really, I have changed a lot on social media over the last couple of years and try to be as genuine and authentic as possible and more vulnerable because I think I previously, and I've spoken about this, had set up this perfect illusion of what I wanted people to think I was. Yeah. And nurse Twitter were so lovely. Like there are Uh, good ones out there. I think, you know, maybe I was a bit like that when I was younger, but people perceive me. And I think, you know, in our very first episode, I talked about failure in inverted commas that we see as a negative term, but my kid's school called fail first attempt in learning. But I think it's about learning to get up and 
keep moving. And I had a really interesting conversation with my sister, actually, when she was up recently. And obviously, everyone on the pod who's listened to all the episodes knows that I went to be a nurse when I was younger and my health made me that door shut for that period of time. And she always says to me, so I, you cope with things, you know, you get up, you move on because I've had a lot of doors closed. I've had a lot of rejections. I've applied for stuff that I didn't get. And it does get easier the more it happens to you. (laughs) But it does make, you know, like this health visiting thing, it was a training post and I didn't get it. And in the past that would have, upset me yeah there's quite a few nursing roles I've applied for that I've not got but I'm okay because actually the stuff we deal with day to day is far more important than that and and I think that's again part of what my new job has taught me that is working with asylum seekers and listening to their journeys of what they've been through in their country of origin and their passage through to the UK. Yeah. And then even when they're in the UK, like hearing what these individuals have been through, the barbaric inhumanity and injustice really puts into perspective problems yeah. in my own life. I'm like, yeah. Craig, this is a ridiculous, this is a non-problem. This is a very first world problem. Yeah, I suppose it's still a problem, isn't it? We all live in our own, we're all the centre of our own universe, rightly so. And you shouldn't feel bad for eating nice food, wanting your life to be better, doing nice things with friends and family, getting frustrated when something breaks or doesn't go wrong. That That's okay. That's the world we live in. Yeah. I suppose it's that it doesn't have to define you, stop you or make your life miserable. It's just, it is, it is what it is move on yeah and, but, and but this new it. job has helped give me yeah a bigger global perspective on yeah. how privileged I actually am yeah exactly so this yes. week I suppose we've talked about this topic round and about in a yeah it's few kind of come in and out of a lot yeah. of the episodes but it's particularly for us quite an emotive subject although it might not look like it on paper and kind of links into what we've just been talking about about how we view ourselves and how other people view us Mm -hmm. so this week's topic is on leaders and followers and we specifically called it leaders and followers not management and leadership you'll hopefully realize why when you listen and we have two guests who are at very different stages in their nursing journey and you're going to hear from them and the first person we're going to listen to is Paul so sit back and listen to Paul chat to us just before he went off to do a spinning class I know bless him and then after Paul you'll get to hear from the lovely Charlotte So Claire and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by someone who is actually a very good friend of mine and I sit on the RCN Nurses and Management and Leadership Forum with on the steering committee and that is Paul Jeb. And Paul Jeb is an Associate Chief Nurse for Patient Experience and Engagement. So Paul, we like to start every episode just by hearing a little bit about your journey into nursing and how you've got to where you are now. So if you'd like to tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Morning to you both. Good morning. Um, So I started my nurse education in 93. I'd have been 19. And that was after a couple of years being a a nurse and auxiliary, as we called at the time, in a care home. And throughout my nurse education at the University of Central Lancashire, it was diploma level, three years at the time. But it was quite an active time. I got quite involved in some of the university stuff. And I ended up chairing 
what is now RCN students, but then was the Association of Nursing Students for two years from 95 to 97, which probably was the best bit of my education around the politics of nursing uh, and nursing policy. And not only did that get me involved in the RCN stuff, but also around some of the national political agenda. So I was quite regularly meeting the Chief Nurse of England, quite regularly meeting politicians, but also internationally linking in with the International Council of Nurses. I went to Vancouver. Just hobnobbing with the big wigs then. Well, it's about influencing <laughs> and uh, networking, Craig. You, you, might get, you might get good at it one day. And Favourite also, interview so far. <laughs> and also, one exciting bit was going to the American Nursing Association Conference because they didn't have students as members. So it was around the value of students being membership of a, a national nursing organisation. And then I qualified in 96. I worked in Blackpool at the time. I did surgery as a junior staff nurse and then sort of moved through the different grades as they were at the time up to being, um, I think I was an I grade in Blackpool. And then matrons came in and we moved across to 18 to the banding. I was a matron, I was a senior manager, and then I wanted to change. So I went to do some director management, so some general management, uh, and spent two years in Manchester as a director manager for general and vascular surgery. Again, taught me lots around the finance of the NHS, around payment by results, around business case management, around building business cases and all sorts. And then children came along. So I went back to Blackpool and did some project management, became an assistant director of nursing for patient experience. And that really started my patient experience journey Yeah, in driving that forward. So I took on a comment to the National NHS England Experience of Care team mm-hmm. and led on Always Events and co-production. And then after that, I went back into provider up to Morecambe Bay as an assistant chief nurse and was a lead nurse for a site up there. Did a comment as a deputy into a struggling trust and then wanted to spread my wings and went into the current role in a mental health learning disabilities uh, and community trust, which is where I sit now. And, and it's great. And it's really. And that's quite a relatively new position for you, isn't it, Paul? Yes, it's about 14 months. So changing jobs probably in the first wave of pandemic wasn't the easiest thing to do, especially when you need to do an induction, especially in the geography, because the trust covers the whole of Lancashire and South Cumbria, so it's huge. So it did have its challenges, but it's good. There's lots going on. There's lots to do, and that's great. And always alongside that, I've had my fingers in lots of other pies, so carried on my RCN stuff, as you said, Craig, around the forum. But I also sit on RCNI's editorial board, which is great around publications. I've got an honorary contract with the local university as a senior lecturer. I'm on the NMC Professional Strategic Advisory Group. And I also chair a local charity as well. Uh, And in my spare time, I... uh, Raise a family. Like um, you and Claire both amaze me with all the stuff you do because I get tired doing the stuff I do, but you both raise family. So hats off. It's so interesting because my background is customer experience outside of nursing. And it's really interesting how patient experience is now coming into the NHS. So I've changed my career a couple of years ago, but I've kind of done the reverse of you. I've done the business case, the change in the project management, the restructuring, reorganisation outside the NHS and then come in as a mental health nurse. It's really interesting to hear how you've gone through it that way. So today it's about management and leadership and leadership and following, I suppose, because I think particularly in undergraduate nurse education, but probably throughout nursing, leadership and management are often joined together and people think of them as synonymous. Do you think nurses who aren't in management can lead? And is that important to the nursing profession? Absolutely. Bit of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think anyone who is delivering healthcare, who is 
managing a team who is teaching patients, service users, carers around health or whatever it is, how to use equipment, they are leading care. So as a nursing student in your management placement, you will be expected to lead a team. As a newly registered nurse, again, you'll be expected to lead a team, drive that forward, challenge other people, challenge other professional groups as well. Uh, And that is all part of that leadership and bringing people along with you to deliver that care day in, day out is all leadership as well. Do you think we have some kind of cultural issues with leadership and management in nursing at times? I think nursing is very hierarchical Mm. uh, and very traditional and people can't split the management and leadership aspects up. They see someone who is a senior manager as being also a senior leader and those who haven't quite achieved that in their career are seen as because they're not in that formal management position that they can't be leaders, which I totally think is dismissive. I do think the word leadership has got a bit too trendy. Mm. Um, people talk about it too much, so people poo-poo it too much as well. Mm. But I think we need to look at the aspects of leadership, whether that is transaction leadership, transformation leadership, fellowship, and you know, recently written an article around that as well. In relation oh, don't you to- worry, we're coming to that. Oh, <laughs> can't wait. I can't remember what I said in it, but never mind. Um, <laughs> so all those aspects need to be broken down into that leadership, and we need to not be sort of seeing leadership as being a pink and fluffy type thing. It is part of our day-to-day role as registrants, but also those people receiving care need to see leadership and need to see that they're advocated for and their care is taken forward. Yeah. How do we do that? How do we start that change, though, I suppose, is the big question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like any change and it's going to take a long time. So, you know, you're talking years, but it's how we change people's views. It's how we educate people. It's how we have these discussions. So whether it's a podcast, whether it's writing an article, um, whether it's just a conversation in a staff room, it's all around how we influence other people to drive change as well. So, Paul, obviously you hold a formal leadership and management position. Do you think all nurses should aspire towards formal leadership and management roles? And if so, if everyone was aiming toward that, how does that relate to followers and followership? if everyone was aiming towards official leadership? I don't think it's healthy to have everyone aiming towards an official leadership role because we still need followers. We still need people who are there, you know, I hate the word, you know, at the front line <coughs> delivering care. And <laughs> yeah. some people, that is their career and that's what they want to do. And I know a lot of amazing, amazing nurses who have been band five level for 30 years. And they are amazing. They manage their care. They lead that care. They drive that care forward. They advocate for their patients. They're clinical experts. But for their individual, whatever reason, they're quite happy being a Band 5 staff nurse. And that's what we need. And we need more of them, obviously. Yeah. Um, So I think it comes down to the individual and what they want. I never, ever thought, if you'd have asked me in 1992, would I be a qualified nurse? with a diploma, having been through university, I'd have said no. Mm. Asking me in 1996 when I qualified, would I be an associate chief nurse, being at sub-board level quite a while with a master's degree, I'd have laughed at you. So I never saw myself in this sort of role. And it's just, I seem to evolve and the roles seem to evolve uh, and my skills seem to evolve around that as well. Yeah. And I still think I'm very grounded and... Um, I'll and be the judge of that. Don't scare me. <laughs> Um, and still able to go and work on a ward and do a shift. I might be a bit sticky with a drug round, but um, (laughs) I can still go and do that sort of role 
and deliver care because that's what we do as nurses. And I think what you say is so key because leadership is seen as being trendy and it is a topic that people talk about a lot, but it is one of the four pillars of nursing. You have leadership and management, but there's also research, there's lecturing and clinical practice. Mm -hmm. So if everyone is aiming towards leadership, and I think it's great that we're trying to inspire people to lead, but like you say, people can lead on the ground. You lead by being an authentic leader, by being yourself and by being a good role model for people to follow. That's my view anyway, as someone who's starting as a novice nurse. And role modelling is a key thing in all aspects of nursing. And we need to make sure that we are role models to our colleagues, to our patients around that professional agenda. Yeah, I agree. It's really important. We've mentioned your article, which I read last week about followers. So I suppose I read everything. I'm a bit of an information junkie. Whether I remember and retain it is another thing for children, a job now. So we talked about leadership and management. And I think it was in my undergraduate nursing education that I first learned the concept of first follower, really, which is interesting because I've done a lot of leadership and management training. I've delivered a lot of leadership and management training. So it was really interesting that that was the place that first follower kind of became something that I became really aware of. So I suppose we've talked about that, but it's becoming more relevant, isn't it? More people are starting to talk about followers. What do you think makes a good follower and why are followers so important? I was made first aware of the followership theories when I was doing my aspirant executive nurse course. So that's only a couple of years ago, really. Yeah. So it is pretty new theory in leadership and the fabulous Elaine Maxwell and I talked about it at that time as well. Oh, love Elaine. Yeah. In relation to how followers really do impact on leadership. And Elaine has just this wealth of knowledge around leadership and management, and she is fabulous. And in those discussions, it really started me thinking around what is a follower. And some of that came through in the article, and the article was purely around some of my thinking. And that was around values and how we make sure that we know our own values, but our team members or those who are followers know our values as well, and they can align to those values, but also challenge your values as well. So followers, I would still expect a follower to challenge and to support people in a formal leadership role, but they are part of that as well and, and driving that forward. So the key thing is around values and understanding our own values, but also aligning those with our team as well. So do you think it's important that followers have a shared vision with their formal leader? Yes, I think in short, but that they need to have an agreed shared vision. Mm, yeah. I think it is around that consultation and whether that vision is just for that shift that we're going to get through this shift and doing A, A B, C and delivering X, Y, Z. But that there does need that discussion and debate of, of what needs to happen and how that needs to happen, which would be that sort of agreed vision as well. I yeah. think that concept's made me feel a lot more relaxed around leadership, the whole concept of leaders and followers, because you can shift in and out of both, can't you? You can be a leader and a follower. And I think for me, I felt like I was being pigeonholed at times into leadership roles or management roles, maybe that were in that hierarchical structure where you tell people what to do. The whole model of followership, it feels much more natural to me and makes me feel more comfortable around the whole leadership agenda and that it can be a natural thing. And the followers are as important. That video that I think loads of people have seen with the 
they're all sitting in a picnic and someone walks off or try and put a link onto it. It's great. If somebody doesn't get up and walk, you know, the second person doesn't go, you don't have a movement, you don't have anything. So for me, it's been a really interesting insight into management and leadership. And I think a key thing of leadership is to know when you should be the leader and when you should be the follower. Yeah. Um, Know when to say, actually, I don't know, but I'll find someone who does know and how that can work. And I've I've learned that the hard way in different organisations, in different roles, Actually, being able to say, I'm sorry, I don't know, but I will find out for you is a key leadership trait for me. Yeah, definitely. I I think you're so right there. There's so many people out there. We only need to look at the Twitter sphere that are trying to lead on everything when there's perhaps more authentic voices that should be leading those causes. Absolutely. Absolutely, Craig. And authenticity is vital in leadership. Yeah. Now, we did have your colleague, Jenny Watson, so it would be remiss of us not to mention that you're the other half of the leadership team for We Are Global Nurses. So I think this might tie a little into my next question. But what do you think are the key issues for the nursing profession that require strong leadership at the moment and going forward? Yes, I'm Jenny's global husband. (laughs) Oh, we are podcast husband and wife. I love having a global husband. I want one of them. (laughs) If only it wasn't truly global. I think obviously with what's been happening in the last 12, 18 months, it is a key thing for healthcare in general. But how nursing has led lots and lots of issues through the pandemic is vital that we make sure that we are able to articulate what nursing is. We need to then recruit. The ongoing um, struggle. Yeah, we need to then make sure that we recruit effectively. Pivotal to that is retention. So we need to retain nurses. So nurses need to be supported. They need to be adequately rewarded. And that includes pay. And the other big challenge is making sure that we develop as a profession and making sure that we are aligned with other healthcare professional groups, but also that we are at the forefront of care delivery. And actually, nursing, I could argue, is the most important healthcare professional group in relation to 24-hour care, care delivery, care coordination, and many other areas. So I think there's lots of challenges for to sort out as a profession internally. We need to get our own house in order, but we also need to make sure that we articulate properly what the role of a registered nurse is. The value of a graduate registered nurse is key, and that's something I've talked about for many years in relation to, I think, years ago when I was chair of students, we had a debate at RCN Congress around valuing the registered nurse. So it's something that's not gone away. We need to make sure we stop all this nonsense around you can't be a graduate, be a nurse. We need to make sure that evidence-based practice is at the forefront of what we do. And that is the value of a graduate is that level of knowledge, that understanding and that challenge that needs to be there. But we also need to bear in mind that nursing doesn't have the monopoly on care either. So we need to make sure that we, as nursing, are care coordinators with other healthcare professional groups as well and support them in some of their challenges. So a lot of the pay debate at the minute, it's not just about nursing. It's about a gender no. change. And it's about those other healthcare groups that are covered by agenda for change. So, you know, allied health professional groups, our support staff, the porters, the physiotherapists, the matrons. There's lots of groups in there that aren't specifically nursing. Mm. And what we need to do as healthcare professionals is we need to get together as a healthcare professional group rather than just nursing doing it alone. We all need to get together and make sure we are all singing from the same song sheet to drive that. Uh, that's so important. So important. There's something that's really shocked me about nursing and about healthcare professionals in general coming in in my 40s to nursing is actually how divisive we are and how we split. And it's really shocked me 
I'm not shocked by it now because I've been in it for five years. But yeah, it's really surprised me. And I think you're right. It's so important that we unite as nurses, but also with others. Absolutely. We do ourselves a disservice. Yeah, and that includes, you know, it's not just NHS either. It's no. about social care. It's about colleagues working in the independent sector. We need to make sure that every nurse and every healthcare professional is valued. Yeah, I agree. It's just so important. So one of the things we ask everybody is to come up with a top tip for any nurse, really. So future nurses. It can be anything. It can be a tiny tip that you've learned through kind of what you've done in your career, or it can be something existential and huge. It can be personal. Just what would be your top tip for a nurse? I think some of the things I've mentioned around values is knowing your own values. And I think the biggest thing, and I've learned this really the hard way, is look after yourself to know when you're getting tired, to know when you need to say no. And Craig will know. And the worst person say no. Yeah, but, but pretty bad. T- <laughs> yeah, we're not particularly good at it either. There are times when you've got to say no to protect yourself. And having had relatively small mental health struggles in some of this because of workplace stress, because of the workload that I've taken on, really, really has taught me that actually I've got to look after myself. I've got to make sure, you know, as I'm sat outside the gym now, I get on that spin bike for three quarters an hour and just sweat my life away oh Um, you make me feel so guilty (laughs) but making sure that you know i walk the dog every night for half an hour at least and you've seen some of my twitter pictures where i'm just on the beach every night little hagrid little hagrid who we adopted a year ago yesterday one day he'll grow into his name and (laughs) i find it it funny that you've called for people that don't know and then you can follow paul paul has got the smallest dog in the world called hagrid The kids wanted to call him Dobby, but uh, obviously we couldn't do that because somebody else has a dog called Dobby, so uh, couldn't do that. that Um, But yeah, absolutely. But looking after yourself is pivotal. And if we can't look after ourselves and if organisations can't look after their people, then, you know, it's going to be an even harder struggle. And I quite regularly say, and some colleagues who I know listen to this, what we do day in day, it's about people. Yeah. It's about people with emotions. So we need to look after people with emotions and we need to have that emotional support for people in everything we do. It's not about system and process healthcare, it's about people and that's what we need to focus on. And I think you've summed that up perfectly and I think that's key to leadership and management as well as sometimes that can be detached from that emotion. So how you retain that Mm. emotion and humanity into leadership and management and I've mentioned you're on Twitter Paul if anyone wants to follow you where can they find you usually sat outside the gym or on the beach uh, no um, <laughs> not literally <laughs> oh, yeah I don't want people hiding behind my bins or anything so I'm at Paul Jeb one on Twitter so Paul Jeb and number one on Twitter um, I also do a bit of Instagram but I'm quite fussy about my Instagram contacts and um, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't get on... Instagram still. I still I struggle with it. <laughs> and I've been known to do a bit of Snapchat here and there as well. Oh, Snapchat, my... you're well ahead of me. I've not got Snapchat. I've got Snapchat, but that's only to communicate with my children. <laughs> me and a, a very good friend of mine who's also seen in us quite regularly have a Snapchat chat with a filter on. Especially after a really hard day, there is nothing better than talking to your friend while she's got a radish on her head. <laughs> we'll have to try that, Craig. We could Snapchat the podcast one week. <laughs> I'll be a rabbit and you could be a mouse. There we go. <laughs> I'm never going to be a mouse. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us, Paul. I know your schedule is manically busy. So thank you for taking thank the you. time sitting in your car outside the gym to speak with us. It means I know. a lot. Happy no, spinning. 
Oh yeah, can't wait. I'll, yeah. I'll be. I can't think of anything I'd rather do that. Hours time. See you soon. <laughs> Take care. Take care. We are delighted to be joined by our next guest, who is a very good friend to both Craig and I. Welcome to Charlotte Jacob Hall. And Charlotte is a safe care specialist nurse at Gloucestershire Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust and a Chief Nurse Fellow Alumni. Good morning, Charlotte. Oh, it's so good to see you again. It's been way too long. The fact that you've called me a friend, well, that's just a bonus for me, guys. Thanks so much. That's that's great. We get to chat to lots of our friends. We meet amazing new people, but it's nice when we have a friend on. It feels like a bit of a treat. So it's really nice to have you on. So your story in nursing, you're like us. You're a bit further along your registrant pathway than Craig and I, but not too far. But you've got quite a journey and quite an exciting story. So we'd love you to tell all of our listeners how you got to where you are and and where you've been along on your way. Gosh, how long's this podcast? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was born. No, not that far. But. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had a bit of a wild journey. It's been three years, so I registered three years ago. I'm definitely still an, an early career nurse, but I've definitely uh, gone full speed into the career and opportunities that have opened up to me. I have taken, I've embraced them, and I don't regret any of the decisions I've made. Although I've had some decisions where I thought maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be, and I've moved on from those. But I think it's really important that we learn from those experiences. So. I'm a, like you said, a safe care specialist nurse right now. I've been in that post for just under a year. Basically, the job itself is looking at patient acuity and looking at safety and making sure that staffing and sort of workforce deployment is safe. So it's very different to what I've done prior. That's a corporate role. And I never thought that I would even be in a corporate. I just It never crossed my mind ever yeah. at any point in my journey so far that I would be in that job or even be good at that kind of job. And basically, it's for me a, a huge project rollout, the wide scale organizational project, which to my surprise, I've actually been all right at. And actually, I think you've been better than all right. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> well, yeah, that's still something I'm not very good at doing. Selling myself short is my number one skill. I definitely I need to learn a lot there. But I think I've had so much opportunity to learn things in this post, which I would never, ever have had exposure to working clinically. And so I'm really deeply thankful for that opportunity, you know, more work around things like implementing policy, actually understanding operational management and really getting to the nitty gritties of how things run. And I've really had such good exposure to different leaders, different types of management. And it's just been amazing. I've been able to access different specialties. So I've had a really good time in this role and I still really enjoy it. Alongside that, I've done my fellowship, the Chief Nurse Fellowship. And I just recently graduated from that. Obviously, there was a lot of delays because of COVID. But basically... A little uh, thing called the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that cheeky little thing, the pandemic. I think I've heard of it. So basically, we did a leadership and management course alongside our fellowship. So we basically had the equivalent of a sort of shift a week to deliver that training and and to take that education program. And then we'd also have the opportunity to go and have exposure to more senior leaders who maybe we wouldn't necessarily have direct access to. It just gave you that platform to go and do exciting things. And I, I shadowed Mark Radford as the deputy CNO. That was just before COVID. 
COVID hit, actually. So that was my last kind of opportunity externally to really make the most of it. But there's been so many great connections built from that. And the fellowship has given me a really enhanced opportunity early on in my career. And before that, I was working in acute medicine, endocrinology, general medicine as a staff nurse. And I was a senior staff nurse quite early on, as people would depict in my career. But I guess that we'll go on to talk about that kind of stuff in this conversation. Mm. We will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, I think if you don't follow Charlotte on various platforms of social media, one of the things that you really are is honest. And I remember in my final years as a student, seeing some videos of you in your car after night shifts or long day shifts. And you were really, really honest because I think we'll talk about this, that you and Craig and myself have been involved in lots of extra things when we were a student. And there's this expectation that you're always happy and everything's always perfect for you. And one of the things that I think was really honest for you is you came out of shift saying, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, this is quite tough and bringing forward the stuff. So I think if you haven't seen Charlotte's videos and, and Twitter stuff, go and check her out and we'll give her social handles at the end but no, I, I really still remember that one particular one in your car after a night shift I remember and I've known you for years and sat on the RCN students committee with you when you were the chair and I was the Scottish representative and one thing I think and not to embarrass you but I would say you've always got such a great sense of humanity and authenticity about you and that's something we'll go on to talk about in management and leadership as well but definitely follow Charlotte for that but what I was going to say next is so leadership and management Charlotte they're quite often joined together and people see them as quite synonymous. So do you think nurses who are not in official management and leadership positions can lead? And is this important for the profession? Well, it's simple. Yes, and absolutely yes. I mean, <laughs> the end. Podcast over. Exactly. Can you elaborate? <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, broadly speaking, the two work together, obviously, but they are definitely separate. And I think it's important, you know, we recognise, and sometimes it feels funny, like we should know these things, but I think you constantly have to remind people, you know, managing people is to plan, organise, coordinate, facilitate. It's different. Leading people is inspiring. It's motivating people. Leaders focus on people and setting directions for people to follow. And I think you definitely need leadership skills to be a good manager. I guess the wording of the question there is really important because you asked, can a nurse that's not in management lead? Well, I think if we look at nursing cultures sort of over the years, so many things have dramatically changed. Oh my goodness, so many. But actually there are still some things that are really quite stagnant and I think they're quite unconscious in many ways. I think we've got a real willingness now to move away from them, but it's actually doing that is incredibly hard. And I think that sort of stereotype of what we see as a leader is still very prominent. So sort of a good example of that would be things like uniforms, banding. We associate those with seniority. Seniority means leadership, but that's not necessarily right or true. And I deeply, deeply believe that sort of every nurse is a leader within their own right. And we think we must remember we need to encourage people to recognise their leadership potential because actually what we're doing is missing a huge group of people who are extremely talented because we're not giving opportunity or support for them to step up as leaders because they're not in a senior post. And I think that's so important. I think 
it's that really prominent time right now to sort of initialize, flourish, support people who are showing any kind of sparkle or potential there. Even an inkling, we shouldn't be pushing it down based on where they work, what they do, who are they? Actually, what is it they're wanting to bring forward? And that is what we need to nurture and take. And I think it's maybe easy for me as an early career nurse to sit and say that because I've been through the experience of coming forward. And thankfully, some people around me have taken me on and brought me forward and that's fantastic but other people alongside me you know I've experienced bullying I've experienced people really misunderstanding what it is I'm trying to do or Mm. just generally the delivery of well but you're just newly qualified or oh but you're quite early on in your career I mean should you really be given that responsibility or and I think well actually what are you looking at here? Do you know what? There's a really good example of this, actually. So in my post currently, I do wear a dark blue uniform. And in my organisation, that's senior, okay, to somebody in a lighter blue uniform in that sort of sense. And so there's a sort of instant understanding of, oh, this person has a bit more expertise or is in my title. I'm a specialist of what I do. And I think people make an assumption that just on that, oh, you've been a nurse for 10, 20 years, you know, and they just make that assumption. And and I've been to areas before, I've been to a ward where I've bumped into somebody who I trained with, they were in my cohort at uni, we qualified exactly the same time, we're having a chat, and somebody, you know, senior on the ward will come over and say, oh, do you know each other? You know, how do you know each other? Blah, blah, blah. And you say, oh, well, we trained together, we graduated together. And the look, you can see the shift in the way they see you, just you can see them doing that a gif, you know, where there's like numbers flying around your head. <laughs> like, well, hang on a minute, the mass doesn't figure out here. You're what? That doesn't make sense. You can see it in their eyes. And it's just such a shock because you just think, they're like, oh, but that makes you quite early on in your career. And I'm like, yes. Does that change the way yeah. you see me now? It shouldn't, because before you expected no. me for the work I was delivering. But now yeah. you're questioning my ability based on a time factor I think it's so so interesting you point that out and I've experienced similar to what you have when you were talking about bullying and victimization now I've recently finished on the RCN newly registered nurses network as a curator and on my last day spoke a lot about my different experiences in my first year of registration and have experienced that because I think quite often people who have passion and enthusiasm for service improvement and have new ideas quite early on a lot of people they can see that as overconfidence and try and squash them down and I have had experience of that and I know that you have to, and I think we need to somehow shift that culture. Yeah, yeah. See, I think it's right. it's really interesting, and it's interesting that you should mention uniform because I think we've talked before about nurses being known by their bands. Oh, you're a band six, or you're a band five, or you're a band, which is not particularly helpful. But I wonder whether the fact that certainly in the community and mental health services in the main, we don't wear uniform, right. and we're all called the same, so we're care coordinators. Whether you're paid as a band five care coordinator, a band six care coordinator, your job title's care coordinator, you introduce yourself to your patients in the same way none of us wear uniforms and I wonder whether that levels it a little bit so people would walk in and do you think you've experienced that based on because I think you're right that would make a difference I really do think that yeah I don't know it's difficult because I've only worked in the pandemic and we're not always all around people we're still doing a lot of remote working but I think I haven't experienced it in the same way that you guys have for sure and I mean I'm old I'm 45 so there's probably an assumption oh my god what world are we living in that that's old (laughs) 
I'm an old new nurse. I'm an old, 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 old new nurse. So I wonder sometimes whether people make the assumption that I've been a nurse for a lot longer than I have because of my age. Yeah, I haven't experienced that. My team are really open to ideas. But I do wonder whether uniform and prescriptive uniform is part of that. I also think there is a big difference between mental health nursing and between adult nursing, particularly adult acute ward-based nursing for that hierarchy. Because it's interesting you mentioned that, Claire. I've now moved into a community role that's completely nurse-led and it's a mixture of mental health and adult nurses. And that experience that I had working in an adult ward is completely different. So I don't know. I think mental health wards are similar to adult wards. So I think it's possibly the difference between ward and community, maybe. I don't know. But that's interesting, something, you know, to think about. So you, Charlotte, have been identified as a nurse leader through your work you've done as a student and then subsequently with all the other stuff you've done that you haven't mentioned, but I'm sure we'll talk about. Do you think that all nurses should aspire to leadership? And how do you think that relates to being a follower? Well, I mean, again, I think actually, I suppose it comes down to sort of how you define a leader in your own sort of personal preference of what you think a leader is too. I mean, my mum has always said that sort of I was leading since I was a twinkle in her eye, (laughs) but uh, I don't actually believe that you can be born a leader. I think that it's fair to say, obviously, some people have more natural leadership abilities, Mm -hmm. but that comes as a sort of result of your character, your values, the journey of your life, what you've done, where you've been, how you've worked amongst different groups of people, different backgrounds. And I think that actually leadership can be learnt and I think it does get developed over time and it changes. It's not stagnant. And I'd like to think that all nurses do aspire to leadership just based on the type of work that we actually do as nurses. But mostly I think that because of a lack of support and opportunities that so much potential is missed And that's kind of where we sit with this line of should all nurses be leaders? Well, actually, we've all got the potential there. It's just how are we harnessing that potential? And I think in terms of how does it relate to followers? Well, we're all followers of something or someone at some point. Um, I've followed many people. I've followed many leaders and then I've learned from them and become the leader I am. And also I might be following somebody today, but tomorrow I'm leading something else. It's not, again, something you're set in this time of I'm a leader now. That's it. No, we're all followers of something and able to shift that leader to follow a responsibility. And I think as well for followers to do the best they can do and understand what it is, is to understand how significant they are in the process. Because actually a leader is nothing without their followers. Um, There's nothing to lead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So actually that sort of willingness to remain sort of open-minded, willing to learn. I think we talk about things like everybody thinks, again, back to the hierarchy, leadership is looking up. I'm looking at who inspires me. Oh, the CNO inspires me. She does. But so does a student nurse who I work with on a placement. They inspired me because of the way their attitude towards something or an idea they've discussed with me, a quality improvement they've come up with. Well, that's that's amazing. Actually, I'm following you on this. I want to be part of that process. And that's the important bit that we remember that leadership isn't upwards. It's sporadic, essentially. And actually, we should embrace it and do it in the way that is shared governance, because that is how we're going to get the best outcomes for everybody, our patients, our staff, our workforce. And I think that's kind of back to how we support each other as both followers and as leaders. 
this really interesting because it's something that both you and Paul have said is that symbiotic shift between being a leader and a follower. There will be times when you lead, but there are definitely times where you follow and it, you can be a leader who follows. Charlotte, I'm curious, what do you think makes a good follower? How can someone be a good follower if we think of followership? Yeah, so it's about that willingness to learn. And actually, my favourite phrase of all time is learn unlearn, relearn. And I think as followers and as leaders, we should be doing that. And I think a good follower recognizes their power and ability because actually understanding your role as a follower in the delivery of a leader's vision is significant to improving your own personal growth and your self-awareness, which in turn develops you as a leader. So actually it's that. And a willingness to kind of say, Being a follower doesn't mean you have to be perfect at delivering the vision. You just have to be willing. And that's what makes you the adaptable person. That's what makes you the good, emotionally intelligent, adaptive, reactive and diverse needs of skills there to deliver visions, ideas and changes. And that's what makes you a good change agent. I love that phrase, change agent. I really like it. It it, It feels feels a bit FBI, doesn't it? Like like, We all do love that, though. Get the sunglasses out. I know. We are the change agents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be good. But I just think it's a nice positive phrase that maybe hasn't been overused because I think, Mm. you know, we've talked a couple of times about stuff being overused and um, trendy. Yeah. And probably change agent will be that way in about five years time. Yeah. We'll be saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't call me a change agent. Oh, that change agent thing. Yeah. yeah. I love to say, which when people ask me at anything, how do you describe yourself? What would you say are the things that represent? you I'm a positive disruptor and I will always be a positive disruptor because actually nothing will change if you're not trying to make questions and change and build momentum around actually could we be doing that better it doesn't mean it's bad it means could we be doing it better or could we be doing it differently and that doesn't necessarily mean because people get quite defensive about things don't they uh, you know you oh, say yes. oh, actually <laughs> why don't we try this approach and people are like but we've, we've done, done this since and, Florence. and you're like <laughs> yeah. okay but how could we make it even better even better. It doesn't mean that you've done a bad job. It just means that it's at that part of its change life where actually maybe we could take the next step in that journey to improve it. And that's why we talk about like sphere of influence and actually bringing new eyes in and fresh people. In my organisation, in my role, I'm the lead for my specific task and I'm the expert of the task. But that doesn't mean that I can't learn. And actually, that's the point, isn't it? We need to open up our minds to say, you can be the most powerful person in the room in terms of leadership, in terms of hierarchy, in terms of management, but it doesn't mean that you can't learn something. And that's absolutely open. So it leads nicely to my next question around change. But nursing's gone through a huge amount in the past year, never mind as long as you guys and, and me have been involved in it. But Looking forwards then, what do you think are the key issues for our profession that are going to require some strong leadership? Wow, gosh. Um, I mean, there are literally so many, aren't there? It's, it's, Let's it's pretty... get existential here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's too many to list, really, honestly, isn't there? It's just, uh, and they all keep growing and changing and some will get knocked off and then we'll add 10 more. Um, I think big ones, obviously, are things like 
pay, working conditions, equality, our professional identity. You know, these are all like global issues. They're not just local issues, they're global issues that will look different locally. But actually, we need to be using partnership globally to kind of make waves for that kind of movement. And I think the pandemic's kind of been a silver lining in that aspect of how we're going to become more globally channeled in together. But I think then there are these smaller but still really significant leadership needs. And these are things just simply as empowering our colleagues on a shift to deliver exceptional care when they're short-staffed. And I think as well, like shared governance and decision-making, empowering that person who feels, because, and actually, if you talk to anybody on a ward in my hospital, most people will feel disempowered, like, oh, well, it's not my place to say that. You know, you say to somebody, oh, that's such a great idea. And they go, oh, I haven't really thought about it. It's not really a good idea. No, no, it is a good idea. Let's talk about how we can make it better. Uh, And giving them that opportunity, that platform, that shared decision-making, bringing them into shared governance is going to actually allow us to change the agenda and shift what we're doing and actually find that talent that I talked about that's hidden because not everybody is as outspoken and willing to put themselves crying in a car on Twitter. And actually those people are out there. They're just not necessarily placing themselves out there. So I feel like it's personally a responsibility for me as somebody who is maybe seen as a nurse leader to find those people and support them through that process so they can discover that they are a leader. Yeah, And I guess that adds to this sort of we need to move away from the stereotypes of what we see leadership as because actually a student nurse could quite easily be a leader an early career nurse could quite easily be a leader it doesn't disregard people who had a long career and have a lot of it it doesn't disregard people I think people get really worked up about this but oh but this person's been a nurse for 40 years or this person's retired they're very experienced absolutely let's bring in your contribution and your value to this conversation we're not excluding it you know it's not an exclusive party it's an inclusive party that's the point yeah you're so right because I think what happens is a lot of people we've all sat in the RCN students and then we've all been part of creating RCN newly registered nurses there's been a lot of excitement and buzz around that and I think that can feel threatening to people who have been in the profession for a lot longer and who are seen as experts and are senior managers and leaders and they can feel like we think we know better and we're trying to shove them out and I don't think that's the case at all all we're doing is banging at the door and asking to be listened to as well and be brought into that decision I think you're so right yeah and not make the assumption that just because it was discussed in 1982 doesn't mean we've got something else to discuss now and bring to the table or have a right to talk about it in a different way like you say to find a different solution because I think there is that assumption of well we've dealt with this Uh oh yeah absolutely and we hear this a lot like well actually we looked at this five years ago okay but five years ago it didn't work so let's look at it now in this time in this environment in this situation because you know so Gloucester's is a network I co-founded with my colleague who's also an early career nurse it's Gloucestershire Hospital's staff transition and retention support network okay we set it up because we felt there was a gap we saw the gap we did a gap analysis it was there we felt like support during perceptive and then beyond was important because it felt like and we've collected data over a three-year period, we can prove that this is correct. People feel well-supported in their first few weeks. Then it kind of subsides. And then again, when they leave the perceptionship, there's just 
nothing. That's it. You've got to sort yourself out now forever. And that is a big, significant impact on how people feel supported. Um, yeah. And it's you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. And I think there's a really telling part of that. Okay. So I talk a lot about shared decision-making and shared governance, but I mean, it's the way forward. It's the future. It's how we need to move to change and make things work and empower our workforce to not leave <laughs> because yeah. actually we're not meeting people's fundamentals. And early career nurses right now, there's kind of been a shift again in how, and it might be because nursing is a degree now in recent times has become a degree. You have to have the degree to join the register. And actually, maybe we're being set up in a different way when we start our career to what was previously done. And that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means that's different now. And I think people have different expectations when they qualify. Mm -hmm. So actually, the data shows in the first eight to 10 years, people leave. What the heck is that about? We need to stop that. We need to meet those fundamentals that we're not addressing them. And in terms of the Glossstars work that we've been doing, for example, then we have different types of guardians, okay, in the network. And so we have specialist guardians who are experienced nurses, they're expert at what they do, they're the leads, the dementia lead for the organization. She knows all about dementia. She knows all about elderly care. And actually, that's the person you want to go to if you're looking for specialist guidance or career pathway into that area of work. That's who you want to speak to. But in terms of perceptorship, it's been really a thing me and Sophie, my colleague, are really passionate about delivering is relevance. So we know that when we qualified three years ago and we did the perceptorship, it was different to now. I mean, there's been a massive yeah. pandemic in between that as well. Things have rapidly changed. So we know that while we can absolutely sponsor, support and aid the delivery of preceptorship guardians to people. We can't be preceptorship guardians ourselves because it just isn't right. We don't have the relevance anymore because we've moved on. We're in the next phase of our career. We're in the next step. And people on that preceptorship, while I can give them support, guidance, even mentorship, what I can't give them is I've just been through this because I haven't just been through it. I went through it and I'll remember it forever but it's changed. So it's important for us that we recruit preceptorship guardians who've just finished the preceptorship so that they know exactly what they've been going through. Yeah. They really do relate because they've just been through it and they've got more relevance than I could possibly understand for somebody who's just come through the register. And I'll have a, a history, a story to tell, a supported mind because I remember, but it's not my lived experience in the current. And I think that's really yeah. important when we talk about Definitely. support and leadership. Yeah. So Charlotte... What is next for Charlotte Jacob Hall? What are your future plans and goals? Well, so, do you know, I hate getting this question because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a scatty person as well, but everyone thinks I've got it together. I haven't got it together. Um, oh, but you and me both. <laughs> it's a nurse trait, right? Like yeah. we're really good at being like, we've got it together, trait, but I actually, <laughs> yeah. The pandemic has really changed me a lot as a person, like it has for many millions of people, I'm sure. I've spent a lot of time thinking recently about, actually, I've always been highly ambitious throughout my life, throughout the different careers I have, when I was active, different career completely was still extremely ambitious. It's part of who I am. But actually, I've recognised now that I see success differently to what I saw as success before. So now I recognize that success is rather than a, this looks good and I think it's going to help me. I'm thinking more of what am I good at? What can I actually help with? And what will I deliver well? Because I always found that when I take on a task, if I'm not invested in it fully, then I can't deliver it well because yeah. I'm not fully invested. Where actually everything that I've done in the last few years, being a nurse has really succinct my mind. When I was acting, it was just like 
any job on my CV is going to look good. I just want to do it. But now I look back and think, why the hell did I do that one? I, don't, I regret, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I don't want, I, hopefully nobody finds that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those. And now I think success isn't linear. It's not the same for everybody. It's different. And I've really honed into that. And now I recognize that setting these extreme ambitious goals while is motivating can actually be really detrimental and harmful to my physical And exhausting. Yes, absolutely. And so it's important. This has been like the greatest discovery. I feel like I'm... You're like Buddha enlightened. Yeah, exactly. I'm zenning now. I get it. I'm here. I've arrived. I've literally got to that point where I'm like, you know, I value my time and I recognize that my time in life is short and I want to do with it what I want to do with it in terms of what's going to give me real value, what's going to be of real benefit, rather than all these little things that just don't really amount to anything and I want to invest my time deeply and purposefully and so I guess my future plans are to embrace opportunity I will always embrace opportunities that come my way and I'm a definitely a, oh that door's open let's have a look over there see what's behind the door uh, <laughs> I don't mind what the door looks like I'll just have a cheeky look and I definitely am always a, yeah and I definitely maybe even open windows person. yeah exactly I don't want to sort of say this is my goal. This is my path. This is where I'm going. I want to explore and enjoy that journey because I want to, which I didn't do, especially when I was a student nurse, I didn't enjoy the process. I was constantly rushing to get it done, 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 done. I loved it. And now I did love it. I mean, I had great, don't get me wrong. I loved those parts of it. I just absolutely loved, but I was definitely rushing that process. Definitely wanted to get to the end. I wasn't enjoying every aspect of that process. And now I want to enjoy the process, not just the outcome. And that's like my biggest lesson that I've learned. And that is what I'm looking to do for my future plans is to enjoy process, whether it's a small thing or whether it's just doing a task at work or whether it's getting like a really good program I'm going to undertake. I want to go and do more study, you know, things like that. But actually, if I'm going to go and do more study, I want to enjoy the process. I don't just want to, oh, well, I've got this study now. I need to embrace the process. And I think a lot of people get fixated on goal outcomes rather than the journey and the journey is the best bit oh it's so great hearing you talk about that because I'm still not quite there yet I am still very goal orientated and so to hear you talk is really therapeutic for me to hear that knowing that you're a couple of steps along because I think you and I are quite similar in a lot of ways but you are ahead (laughs) of me in that well, but it's not a competition. No. <laughs> but I think give yourself a break, okay? Because this is where I'm heading with it. I'm not there yet. I still am goal orientated and I get frustrated. I feel disappointed when I'm not delivering what I want to deliver or think I should be delivering still. I still have those uh, imposter syndrome moments all the time and I'm constantly feeling that pressure to be better, better, better. But actually, it's just kind of the recognizing bit is the most important aspect of it. So while I can still feel those things, as long as I take check and go, hang on a minute what am I doing with this why am I putting that pressure on myself is it the end of the world if it hasn't been done by Friday or is it (laughs) the end of the world if I haven't succeeded in getting this by this date I used to tell myself things like right by the age of 35 you will have a master's like I used to tell myself that okay but now I'm like hang on a minute what do you want it in (laughs) what do you want to study that's much more important than getting it And actually, it's taking that time to reflect, think about it and logically make a decision about why am I doing that? What am I doing it for? I want to enjoy it. So now I'm like, I will get one. I know I'm going to get one at some point because I want to. It's on my agenda for my life. But the right one will come at the right time. And that will be the most enjoyable part. Yeah. 
I guess I'm really lucky and I am different to you two in that I love my job. You know, I, 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 love, I, my oh, I love my job. No, but my first job, my oh, okay. first job. This is the only, so I've started, yeah, I know you, but do you know what I mean? I haven't felt that. You're going to get us both to, sacked. Yeah. Uh, they hate their job. the record, no. please. But I started in the right team. and yes. But because of that, and because I'm surrounded by other people who move on and change, I have felt that pressure to look outside thinking, right. should I be changing, even though I love what I'm doing? And you're right. I have to go, actually, I really like my job. I don't like the society that we're in that impacts mental health. I don't like the way the government funds mental health. I don't like issues around housing and society. Those are all issues that impact my job, but my actual team and the job and the people I work with and the patients I love. And that's been my journey of realizing you can stay where you are and you don't have to change jobs. You know, I mean, it's really interesting to hear you say that because what you're saying resonates with me because I feel like every job I've had, I've moved on in different times. Frames like they've been over really short or quite long, whatever it has been. I've still enjoyed the job itself, the team itself, like the people around me. But actually, there are different types of people, I guess, in the world looking for different types of things. So for me, I like to feel constantly challenged. That's who I am. So for me, while I could learn continuously in one job forever and ever and ever, I feel the need for change. But that's me personally. Yeah. And I guess it's, you're right. It shouldn't put pressure on other people, but people do feel pressure. That's why you see some yeah. fluctuations as well at work when somebody leaves, then there's a little domino effect, isn't there? And it's because people feel the yep. pressure to move on or change. But I think it's important that you recognize it's your journey. It's what's important for you. Like I know that I've never stayed in a job a long time because I've always wanted more. I've always wanted something else. Like I'm not comfortable unless I'm uncomfortable, basically. So I just love to put myself in a situation where I'm like, oh, wow, this is a, maybe a silly decision. But then I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll come together. And I feel like unless I'm doing that to myself, I'm not happy. So there you go. But I What guess does that say about your mental psyche? I know. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. It's terrible, isn't it? But it's been a way that I've got so much exposure to different things. I'm yeah. one of those yeah. jack of all trades, expert of none. That's me. <laughs> I think I used to be like that outside of nursing. And it's interesting that actually one of my learning things has been just be for a bit. Just be. And, and like you, the right thing will come as I need it. I can see so many things that need to change within the services that I'm in. Mm-hmm. That, that might be the change for me yeah. as opposed yeah, to yeah. me moving because I have never stayed in a job. I think the longest I've been in a job was five years, which felt like a really long time, you know, for me. So it's really interesting how it's the same, but different. And I think it's important that people find their way of leading their career and moving forwards and stuff. So we end every interview with one question, which is what is your top piece of advice to nurses, either newly registered nurses or nurses in general? It can be teeny tiny or huge, but what's your biggest piece of advice? My biggest piece of advice would be to always be your authentic self because you're not going to ever be happy if you can't be you. And actually, I deeply, strongly believe that your values make you who you are. And as long as you're kind of practicing life with kindness, then you're never going to go wrong. So just don't be afraid. People live in fear. Like I know people who like social media, Twitter, okay, for example, there's literally NMC guidance on doing it right, make sure you're doing it alongside the code, which is fine. That's really helpful for some people who need that a bit more structure. I, I've never read that all the way through and Me I've either. never done anything wrong. <laughs> 
I don't think. Uh, people are going to search through my history I'm now. I'm laughing because <laughs> I read everything. Uh, there you I go, pray. right. I'm like, page 72. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've glanced over it, don't get me wrong. And I've used it for references for different types of things. But however, I just think it's interesting because I know people who literally sit and like reread, rewrite, draft, don't send that tweet for like 48 hours. It's just one tweet. And they just think about it way, 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 way too much. But that's how they deal with I'm doing this right or wrong. They're so terrified of saying the wrong thing or terrified of being unprofessional. But then my question is, well, are you unprofessional? No. So are you likely to do an unprofessional tweet? I mean, maybe think about it just before you press the button. But I mean, if you look at my Twitter, you'll see all the spelling mistakes. You know, I'm not rereading mine. But this is the point. I just guess it's about being authentic, because if you think you're a good person, which most of humanity are and trying or striving to be. So actually, there's nothing wrong with being your true self. And actually, if you're your true self, then you show vulnerability. And vulnerability is a special and important thing, okay? Because it makes you relatable. It makes you more emotionally intelligent because you can really understand and empathize with other people. You get people's issues more. You understand and allow yourself to be wrong. I'm very determined about this kind of thing, okay? I always say that I can have my mind changed. So I could absolutely hate the colour red. Hate it. Don't want it in my life. Don't want it anywhere near me. But it doesn't mean I'll always hate the colour red. My mind can be changed. And having a willingness to allow yourself to change your mind is so powerful because it allows you to do things you thought you'd never do change the way you look at things, change your approach. It also makes you know, less judgmental to other people because, you know, yeah. unconsciously we, we are judgy. It's kind of just natural instinct in humans for some yeah. things because it's based on our previous experiences and it's unconscious. It's a defense mechanism. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But actually to allow yourself to go, actually, I was once ignorant about this and I don't want to be ignorant anymore. I want to understand it is so powerful. And that comes back to authenticity too. Just being honest, like, I don't know. Can you talk to me about it? I need help with this. Please support me in being better. You're so right about that vulnerability because so many people strive for perfection and to project an image of perfection. And that's unattainable to live to. And you just set yourself up to fail from that. If anyone wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you? You have many platforms. So where's the best places to find you? I have many platforms. Uh, My Twitter is not... That now again makes you sound like you're in space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Twitter is my most used social media platform. I I have dabbled into the old Instagram now a bit more, but social media, Twitter, it's at Charlotte NHS RN. And it's the same for Instagram. I use it for everything. So recycle. Thank you so much for yeah, your time, so Charlotte. We really appreciate you, Charlotte. it. It's been lovely. Oh, it's been so nice talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's felt like a friendly catch up and I can't wait till we're all in one room together again. Love you oh, lots. I know, okay. it feels like we're at a pub, but I'm just missing my cider. Yeah, that's sadly I'm off to work. Burger, so there's no route. gin and tonic for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I hope you have a good shift. So I'm back from my shift. Thank you, Charlotte. (laughs) It was, you know, good. I think A&E crisis liaison can never be described as nice, maybe, but you do feel like you've helped people. So yeah, that was yesterday. I rushed off, literally didn't even say goodbye to you, Craig. I I know, God love you. You had about, (laughs) I don't know how you got to the hospital. (laughs) I made it, it's fine. I I don't live far away. I have a vision of you being like Cruella DeVille driving madly in a car. I've just recently watched the new Disney film. (laughs) I am just Cruella DeVille in many aspects of my life. So No, you are not. 
I have the white streak in my hair. But oh, Paul and Charlotte were both so interesting to talk to. And I've, oh, I've really struggled with this topic. You and I have talked about this a lot. Yep. I've talked to a lot of other friends. So I've been a senior manager outside of the NHS, a very senior manager, and I didn't want to get pigeonholed. That's always been my thing, hasn't it? I've always been like, I'm not going into management. I'm not. I want to stay clinical for the rest of my life. And I still think that a bit. However, nurse managers and good leaders yeah. impact the clinical world. And the more I learn about the four pillars of nursing and the fact that leadership is part of it, the more I realise that perhaps shutting that door completely isn't the right thing to do. Ooh, I'm you not heard saying it here I'm, first? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't formulated what that means and I'm going to try and chill a bit about where I want to end up because I want to end up doing so many different jobs that, that I need know. to... We I'd need either to need both. 150 years or I'd need 27 of me kind of thing. And we need to... That little piece of advice from Charlotte, though, stop being so... Because we both do it. Stop being mm. so goal orientated and see what happens. Yeah, and just be and spend some time. And you talked about your masters in the beginning. I'm doing my masters at the moment, and I've not enjoyed this last module at all for lots of reasons. I don't think it was very well done. Sadly, I'm considering yeah, pause. Shame. Yeah, and I'm considering pausing my masters and having some time to just be. I don't know. I'm gonna see what happens. Um, Apologies, listeners, you can hear my cuckoo clock. <laughs> um, that's fine. I know you had a cuckoo clock. That's quite cool. But for me, so for me, I struggle with people saying, oh, you're a leader, because I don't see that in myself necessarily. I think, so this is a unique perspective from my point of view. Well, it's not unique. There's half the world will feel this, but I was the bossy girl at school. You're so bossy. And I think that was really drummed into me. That was my adjective. Claire is bossy. Claire is bossy. Claire is talkative. But we wouldn't use that language on boys. We wouldn't. And so I've always struggled with the whole leadership concept because of that, because it is a real problem for me. I got it as an adult, got it as a teenager. I didn't get you're assertive, you're confident, you're organized, you're efficient. And interestingly, I am a girl guiding leader. Mm -hmm. I don't have negative connotations to that leadership role. I take on a lot of leadership responsibility in girl guiding because I know I'm good at it and I know I've got the experience and I know I can support people. And we're a great team of unique individuals who all bring something to the table and it's brilliant. But outside of that, for some reason, I do still have this negative connotation with being called a leader and I struggle with it but I have I'm getting better because I do realize that people now come to me for advice in the team I've had my first students in the past few weeks which I've loved and that's a leadership role and I've realized how much I know in my current job I was like oh wow I do know this stuff I have picked up a lot I've grown so much in the year and a bit I've been on that team and so I'm starting to feel a bit more comfortable with that term. I think this podcast helps. I think this yeah. is a leadership role but for I us. think you're absolutely a leader and you're someone that I always turn to for advice, like life advice. Yeah. And I think a lot of our friends do, whether you like it or not, God help you, but <laughs> we all come to you. Yeah. So you are a leader and I think 
it goes back to what both Paul and Charlotte said about how you perceive leadership, because you very much, when you talk about your role, you talk about societal injustice and you talk about the problems that your patients face based upon governmental policy. So you've got a vision for how you want things to be better. And that is leadership. Leadership yeah. is having a vision and being able to motivate others to follow you. So I absolutely think that you're a leader. And I can take as lots your friend. Of, thank you. I can take lots of characteristics of a leader and be really confident that I'm good at that. I'm, I'm an advocate. I'm a good listener. I can delegate. I think I've got strong communication skills. The minute you then pull all of those things together and say, well, you're a natural leader, you know, and that has been said to me, I hear you're a bossy girl at primary school, secondary school. But then to me, that resonates different, but that's been so ingrained in you from childhood. Yeah. That's sort of like my internalized homophobia that I yeah. experienced as a child. So that has totally shaped your journey. And that's why I find adverse childhood events and what shapes us very, very early on as children are so formative to who we become as people. Yeah, so definitely. I guess I'm lucky that I didn't just go, okay, I'm going to retreat into my box and not, I suppose, despite being called bossy, I continued with, you know, I'm good at organising things. On you, I was supposed to be going to Mexico, wasn't I, last year and running a really complex trip of young girls to do charity work in Mexico City. I'm, I'm gutted that that didn't happen. And I'm all about empowering people and giving people opportunity. And so I'm starting to realise that. And that's back to the beginning of where I started to reflect on this is why I've sort of realised that I can't just cut out one pillar of nursing and go, I'm not doing that. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm going to see where the world takes me and and kind of just I am really feeling in the right place in my job right now. I'm yeah frustrated by politics, but I'm, you know, I can't talk about my job because it would identify patients to, yeah. you know, because I have such a small network. But I've done some clinical kind of supervision sessions with you really, haven't I? And yeah. uh, you know what's going on. And I couldn't leave my patients at the moment. I, yeah. you know, so and I love working with them and I love advocating for them. So but I think what Paul and Charlotte have said is really interesting. And the other thing that I reflected on, which both of them said is because I think all four of us. Paul, Charlotte, you and I are very good at, oh, I'll do that. Oh, that looks exciting. Oh, I want to do that. And guilty as charged. I've been much better. I you haven't have applied, got better. Yeah, I haven't applied to do anything. I haven't put my hand up for anything ludicrous <laughs> recently. There's a few things I know I want to do. I want to do some writing and haven't Ooh. quite figured out what I'm going to write or for who. I love writing and I miss writing for pleasure, which I did a lot more of when I was a student. I suppose blogging and that kind of reflective writing rather than. Don't really have masses of time. (laughs) No, but I find that a really good reflection tool. And so I will make the time to do that um, when I figure out what I want to do. I mean, ultimately, I want to write a children's book, but that's way down (sighs) the line. So, yes, I'm I'm being much more selective in what I want to do and the roles I take on in the RCN and and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think leadership is what we all perceive to be. And we need good leaders in the NHS. We're facing so many challenges at the moment internally and globally, like you've said, and politically. We're on the eve of the big announcement that everybody's waiting to see what decision they make. And we can't pretend that 
at the root of that isn't the impact on the NHS and whether colleagues that work in hospitals are going to be inundated. So, And the vaccination programme has proved that nurse leaders and healthcare leaders are incredible and can make something happen really quickly. So leadership is just a real key part of of nursing isn't it and followership and I love followership I'm going to put the link to that video I mentioned yeah which is what I want to talk about and reflect on because what I loved that both Paul and Charlotte talked about was that symbiotic relationship of leadership and followership and how you can interchange because I'm similar to Charlotte in a lot of ways and actually held a lot of the same roles. Mm-hmm. That I was also the RCN students chair. I was departmental representative at my university. I have done the Sigma Nightingale Challenge for novice nursing leaders like she did. I was the cohort behind her. So we have done a lot of similar things. Mm. So from the outside, I am perceived as being, definitely when I was a student, perceived as being a student nursing leader then I do have on Twitter, for example, quite a lot of followers. So people do listen to what I have to say, whether that's rightly or wrongly, and whether what I have to say really has any impact or who am I to have these expert opinions. But what I'm really enjoying in my new role is being a follower. And I am loving that. And that is a really nice transition. I'm not saying I will never be a leader again, but I'm loving being a follower. I've come into a new team with a new team leader that's really expanded the service that it needs to provide. Our team leader has a real vision for how he wants it to go as a follower. I'm totally bought in and sold on that vision. And it's really great because they are receptive to ideas that we have. So it's about that shared decision-making and shared governance. Like every I was going to say that you suggest stuff, don't you? And he takes it on board. So you get that follow a leadership yeah so it's it's not just me though we very purposefully every Friday have a team meeting and every member of the team makes suggestions and we get to improve and that's why these four link nurses that I mentioned at the start is really good because each of us will in turn learn more about the service so I am really enjoying being a follower following someone's vision and knowing that I have the tools in my set that I have gained as a leader as a student to be able to help drive that vision and that leader's purpose and aims Mm. forward so I find that really interesting and I think people can quite often be quite negative about followers and see them as like sheep and I don't think that's right at all I think in some ways that's where I'm most comfortable like as the the first or second follower I I feel that's quite a good position for me I like that people won't believe this but I don't like being in the limelight I don't want to be the person at the front a lot of the time I like being in the background getting stuff done but I like to be involved in new things and new initiatives and like you say buy into visions yeah and I think that concept of first follow it is particularly a really unique and interesting way of looking at followership because without those first followers and you know I I would put an s on the end of it we don't have a a trajectory to follow and it's the same with everything isn't it when we think about 
campaigns within the RCM, which you and I are both members of. Somebody has an idea and if it's one person on their own, you get the hmm, that crackpot kind of idea. But actually, it's the followers that create the momentum and that create the group, the vision. Well, you need that buy-in. Yeah, for everybody. And I like that. And I think it's one of the things I've learned through my nursing journey is when to hand that over. So I think, well, you and I have both done it with the RCN NRN. You know, we were both co-leads and we stood back and we and you've just left as a curator. And But it is knowing when Charlotte talked about that, about that authenticity of voice, that knowing when to step back and hand it over to someone else and let that momentum move, knowing that that vision is there and that it might change. Again, Charlotte talked about it, that things do change over time and we have to be culturally aware and aware of, you know, what's happening in society. And that's really important. So, Which is something I I was going to say as well, because we talked a lot about emotional intelligence, both as a follower and as a leader. And interesting, you mentioned culture there, because I think it's really important whether you are a follower or most especially if you are a leader or someone in formal management leadership is to be inclusively and culturally emotionally intelligent. Yes. In order to provide the best services for all, we need to be getting things right for minority populations and Mm -hmm. for those subcultures, because if we aren't getting care right for them, then we'll never get care right for everybody. Because if we make care optimal for our minority populations, it is only going to be to the benefit of everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think management, leadership, followership, all of those kind of topics are things that we'll come back to and we'll probably discuss within other topics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's really important. It's the- literally in the code, like no matter yeah, yeah. what no matter what stage you are, because the code applies to nursing students, nursing associates, registered nurses. It says that I'm gonna paraphrase here because I don't know exactly off the top <laughs> of my head, but why don't I know the code off the top of my head? I know, but it, great, great. It, it, there is something along the lines of all registrants, whether they are in formal leadership positions or not, do have to lead as role models and lead care. So everyone is leading yeah. in that sense. And Paul said that really clearly. And you know, sometimes you know something, but then somebody says it and you go, ah. <laughs> When Paul said you're leading care for a patient, you're teaching a patient about healthy eating or how to become more independent taking their medication. That's something that I do quite regularly or structuring their day. That's leadership. And we need to buy back leadership as not a trendy term that gets on people's wick because it is a bit at the moment. And we need to split it from the management tasks. And we need managers. We need people that are good at making very small budgets go a very long way, having imaginative ideas for staffing, creating services that are unique like yours to a specific population. For me, we need more forward-thinking early intervention services because we're ending up with very poorly people who should be intervening earlier. It will be more cost-effective, better for the individual, better for society. But anyway, that's the whole ramp. But we need those managers that can put that in place. But we need leaders to make it happen from every level in, in the NHS. And I think that's definitely the way forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think the only last thing I'd say before we shimmy on off and enjoy our Sunday is that I think whether you are a follower or a leader, 
that what I've developed a real passion for and is driving me now is looking at your circle of concern and then your circle of influence and your circle of control. So what is concerning you, whether that be in your clinical environment or more broadly, what is concerning you as a a global health issue or what concerns you in life, then how can you directly control that? Because that can be totally all-consuming to try and fix that entire problem. So what can you, as a person, Mm. if you're a follower, how can you help your direct leader or manager by your individual action that you can do? Or if you are the manager or leader, what can you do as a service to control that? And then through that control, how can you use your influence? So as a formal leader or manager, how can you influence your followers to buy into that vision Mm. for your circle of concern? And I think that's where you feel much more comfortable and confident and in the right place in your new role, don't you? Because you've got that, you know, like you say, you're sharing your vision. Not that you didn't have that on the ward, but it was a different, much more task orientated, I guess. And I think, like I said at the very start, I love my team and I miss a lot of them very very dearly and hopefully we'll see them at some point soon when the lockdown has ended and we get to socialize a lot more yeah but I left because of if I'm really honest the emotional and psychological impact working in a covid hub was yeah it was too much too early on and then when I went to like I said in the pod when I went to shadow the team I'm now working in last November I just instantly knew that's where I wanted to be. It also links into my circle of concern, Mm. which is societal change and health inequity. So yeah, it just felt like much more of a natural fit for me. So I didn't leave because I hated my team. I left because it was the right thing for me to do. Yeah. So have a good rest of Sunday. Yeah, have a good rest of Sunday. And I hope you all have a lovely fortnight. Uh, we'll we will then. be back then. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To make sure you stay up to date with our latest podcast, subscribe to Retain the Passion on your usual podcast provider. You can follow us on all the social media channels at PodRTP on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash PodRTP, or see our website www.podrtp.com for all our episodes. You can follow Craig at CraigDavidson85 on Twitter or me, Claire, at Manners of Markle. See you next time. All music from this podcast was courtesy of Kevin McLeod.